And our text will be uh, roughly verses 1 through 12. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray now that you would, by your spirit, give us the ability to understand, to believe, and apply your holy word. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to focus our thoughts upon it. For your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It is because we who are Christians have union and communion with Christ that we have union and communion with one another. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, you belong to Him, you are joined to Him by the Spirit of Christ forever, inseparably so. And uh, as such, you have been joined to other believers. And so we talk about, Paul talks about in his letters, being in Christ. We are in the church, in the body. And so we are members of one another. Paul talks about that in Romans 12 and how that works out or should work out in the life of the local church. And when you think about a local church, it is usually the case That there are different people in it from different backgrounds, different walks of life. And uh, along with these differences come sometimes different beliefs or different applications of the Word of God. Yes, even traditions. And uh, sometimes uh, these traditions vary to the degree that Christians... Uh, well, as Paul notes here, they judge one another because the other person does not 
perform or practice the same custom, tradition, or application of a certain belief. We could talk about Christian music. And we could talk about Christian music even outside of worship. And if I were to share with you uh, my assessment of certain types of Christian music, probably some of you might be offended. Some of you might say, I agree with you. Or we could talk about the use of wine or alcohol in the life of the believer. And you can see how these things can be very divisive and have been in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have Romans 14. Now, Romans 14 is not addressing the issue of sin. And I just need to say that up front. We need to remember this as we read it, as we think about it. Um, If something is sin, Paul is not saying we have the liberty to practice it. That's not what he's talking about. Think about it. What if he were talking about idolatry going on in the church? He wouldn't say, well, some of you do this, some of you don't. Both of you do it to the Lord if you don't know, or if it's murder, whatever. He's not talking about sin. It's never okay to sin in the sight of God. Nor is he denying the necessity of sanctification. That's one of those Christian words. comes from the Bible. It means that uh, after you're a Christian, God begins to clean up your life and to make you holy, to live more like He requires in His Word, to be more like Jesus. And uh, this passage does not deny the, the necessity of sanctification. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the writer there says this about those Christians. He wrote, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And so we are to grow. And so part of our growth is taking a steady diet of the Word of God. And at first, it's kind of like milk. We, we look at the more simple teachings. We understand them. We grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And, and then we are, at one point, able perhaps to teach others because we have this increase in knowledge as part of our sanctification. Now, when you look at Romans 14, Paul addresses two categories of Christians. He addresses those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. Now, when it comes to to being saved and to our justification, being forgiven of all of our sins, it only takes the faith of a child. Our Lord Jesus taught that, and that is truth. It only takes a childlike faith to be forgiven by God. But when it comes to the Christian life and trusting God fully and so forth, we all have a varying degree of faith. Those of us who are believers. And so this addresses the two categories, those who are strong in the faith and those who are weak in their Christian faith. And so then there are differences between the two in their practice as a result of their varying degree of faith. And so in this text, as you noticed as we read it, he basically gives two examples. He talks about diet and he talks about days. There were those who ate meat and those who were vegetarians, those who did not eat meat. There were those who treated every day the same. And then there were those who esteemed certain days more than others. 
You might be a little surprised here to, to see what he says because he calls the weak those who are vegetarians. He calls those who esteem certain days more than others the weak. The strong are those who eat meat. The strong are those who treat every day the same. And so if you look at verse 2, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And so there you see the weak one is the one who is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. And so what was going on, evidently, we see here in this chapter, is that there were certain attitudes between these two groups of people. They say birds of a feather flock together. We like to be around our own kind, those who think like us and act like us, and it's uncomfortable to be around those who are different. In fact, we might even shame those who are different than us, and that was going on because if you read what he says in the text, um, in verse 3, he talks about those who... um, Concerning meat, were strong. Those who ate meat, they had a certain attitude. They were at least tempted to despise those who did not. And uh, the word there means that they looked down upon those who did not eat meat. And then there were those who did eat meat, or rather, who did not. And they, uh, Paul notes in the text, they were tempted to judge the ones who did eat meat. And the word judge there has the idea that they are breaking some law. They are breaking God's law as they uh, looked at those who did eat. And So you can see this going back and forth and then there's the whole issue of days and, and so forth. And judgment and despising, that was the result of these two groups. And so when we think about this text, if if you're familiar with the Bible and the New Testament, the letters of Paul, you will know that he writes about similar issues in other epistles. 1 Corinthians 8, he talks about meat, or rather eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. In Colossians chapter 2, he talks about uh, the Judaizers and the error that had crept into that church where they said, taste not, touch not, eat not, and all of that. Um, Paul speaks to Timothy elsewhere in the pastoral epistle there. Um, He addresses this whole idea of diet. He says it is good. It's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so this is nothing new, but we have to understand that in this passage, Paul does not tell us that the meat that they were eating was sacrificed to idols. We have to make that distinction. And the reason I say that is because in these other passages, even in Galatians, Paul condemns those who uh, were doing certain things. And here, he condemns neither party, neither the strong or the weak. But in Galatians 4.11, this is what he said. He said, I'm afraid for you, lest by any means I have labored in vain for you. And so what is the difference? Well, in these other passages, not Romans 14, but 1 Corinthians 8, Colossians 2, Galatians, and so forth, the gospel itself was at stake. 
the gospel was compromised because the Judaizers and their twisted view and uh, teaching of Scripture, they were saying that if you don't do these things, you are not justified before God. You are not saved, nor can you be saved. That's not what was going on with the Christians at Rome. And so as you read Romans 14, you have to understand that. And remember what God said to Peter, by the way, in the book of Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter was struggling a bit and uh, the Gentiles were coming into the church. And Remember, one of the markers that God put on His people in the Old Testament, part of the ceremonial law in Leviticus, was their diet. They couldn't eat things with split hoods or certain sea creatures, all of this. And, uh, and so Christ had come. He had fulfilled the ceremonial law. It was no longer binding. And, and people were eating and Peter struggled. And so God gave him this vision and said, take and eat. And uh, he told Peter, don't call profane what I call holy. And so the issue then in this church at Rome at the very least, was the temptation for division among the body of Christ between the strong and the weak. They were about to, if they had not, they were about to, if they had not, break fellowship over something that is not worth breaking fellowship. And so he has three directives in this part of his letter, and the first one there is in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. The next one is there in verse 19, he says, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify or build up and encourage another. And then in chapter 15 and verse 1, there's the third directive, he says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So I think that's how we're going to break up this section of Paul's letter. And so um, we're going to consider the directive there in verse 1 this morning. And as you see there, the... Um, Directive is to receive the one who is weak in the faith. And depending on your translation, uh, you might have the New King James, New American Standard, ESV. The ESV, I think, gets to the heart of it. It says this in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's the sense. Welcome him, embrace him, but not for the purpose of fighting over opinions your opinions on this matter, these issues. By the way, what was the origin of these things? You know, he talks about uh, the diet there. He talks about days a little later in the passage. <clears throat> what was going on? Well, he doesn't tell us, and we can speculate. It could have been the Jew-Gentile issue. Again, in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Pentateuch, uh, God told his people what they could eat, what they may not eat. Also, when it came to days, there was the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. But in addition to that, there were various ceremonial Sabbaths that the people of God were to keep. And so, when Christ came, part of this, that law and the ceremonial law 
and the sacrificial law, all that, they were fulfilled in Christ, and so they were no longer to be observed. Can you imagine being a Jew in the first century at the first coming of Christ and your uh, family, your father, your father's father, going all the way back, they had sacrificed all of these animals in the temple. They had this kosher diet, all of these things. And then Christ comes, he fulfills it, and God says, it's okay to eat. You may eat this to the glory of God. That would be kind of hard, wouldn't it? You would have ingrained on your hard drive, the hard drive of your mind, these things are forbidden. And so even though Jesus has come, and, and if you were a Jew and you believed in Christ, you now are Christian, a true Jew, Romans 2 talks about there. But to change your diet would be hard. And so some may have kept that diet, not thinking that it saved them, but because they just had a hard time getting rid of it. It could have been that, or it could have been some tradition in the Gentile culture. Because remember, this was a metropolitan congregation. There were many different ethnicities here, including Jewish people. And it could have been that some Gentiles had brought in their uh, traditions, their culture into the church. And so we can speculate about what that would be. We don't really know what it was. But, as we see here in verse 1, the directive, the first one is to receive one another. As one says, not for the purpose of examining one's differences and censoring them because of them. And so then the question might be in the hearers of this first century letter from Paul, question might be, well then why? Why, Paul, should I receive that brother or that sister who does not practice what I practice? Why should I receive the one who eats meat? Or why should I receive the one who doesn't eat meat? I mean, they don't have enough faith, they're not worthy of my presence, or they're different, they're not following God. You see, that's the tension. Why? That's the question. And so we have three reasons in our text, verses 1 through 12, as to why they were to receive one another. And so what are they? First of all, we have reason number one. It's there in verse three. It's because God Himself has received Him. He has received the other brother, the other sister in Christ. In verse three, He says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Why? For God has received him. That's his reason. God has received that brother or sister, the one who eats the meat, the one who doesn't eat the meat. The one who celebrates the day, the one who does not celebrate or observe the day. One has said this as to the meaning of what Paul is getting at here. If the conduct in question is no bar to God's acceptance. It is iniquity. It is sin for us to condemn that which God approves. Paul summarizes this in chapter 15 and verse 7. He says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. 
Well, how did Christ receive us? With qualification? In one sense, perhaps, we had to repent and put our faith in Him. But did He say, clean up your life fully? No, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Christ died for our sins while we were sinners. And even if sin is the issue, we are to receive one another. We're to be graceful. Doesn't mean we ignore the sin. But even here, this is not a sin issue. And Paul has already spoken about this in Romans 5 and verse 1. He says there, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul addresses this whole group as the saints who are at Rome. In chapter 5 and verse verse 1, he says, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so whether it's the strong or the weak, they have been justified in and through the Lord Jesus Christ the moment they put their faith in Him, and therefore they have been received by God Almighty. So who are you to shun and to bar fellowship with this brother or sister? That's what he's saying. What is the implication? What is Paul's implication here when you look at verse 3? He says, uh, for God has received him. It's this. If we fail to receive this one who is either stronger or weaker than us, then we are pretending to be holier and more wise than God Himself. And don't tell me this doesn't happen today. Oh, it does. It does. There are people who think they are holier. At least they may act like they are holier than God Himself. By the way, they act and treat other Christians. And again, one of the marks of the church is the discipline of the church. I don't believe Paul is teaching here. We have to consider the whole counsel of God. Uh, One of the marks is the discipline of the church. We are to practice that. But here Paul is talking about, as we'll see, he's talking about sanctification. Our growth and grace of God. Our growth and understanding of what God requires of us as His children. James Boyce years ago talked about modern day applications of this passage and what is going on. And uh, he said, well, one application could be for the Christian who is going through a tough time. Maybe his or her marriage is in shambles. Maybe he's fallen into financial hardship. Maybe he is sick. And so another Christian comes along and says, well, if you wouldn't have been living like that, that would have happened to you. But once we do that, we're trying to read God's providence over this person's life. Really, that's between them and God. Paul will make that point. But we put ourselves in the category of Job's friends who tried to come to Job and say, Job, you must be in some sin. I mean, God says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, this is the righteous one. But yet his friends come and say, you're suffering. God has stricken you because of sin. They got it wrong. So we need to be careful. You know, today maybe it's essential oils. You know, maybe that's in the Bible somewhere. I haven't found it. Um, Parenting methods. Oh, that never causes division in the church, right? 
How many times? Do you spank? Of course you do. The Bible teaches that. Just read the Proverbs. Again, if you don't spank, you're pretending to be more wise than God who requires the rod to be used. But we do it lovingly and carefully in the way that God prescribes. And yet, how many times? Or, you know, do you do this? You know, do you parent God, parent children's God's way? That was a thing back in the 70s and 80s. And if you didn't do it according to that methodology, the implication is you're not doing it God's way. Well, that's a whole other sermon, right? Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's your attitude about COVID. You wear a mask. Or you don't. Now, personally, I'm not going to go down that path this morning, but I will say, (laughs) maybe it's just in my blood from my forefathers, but I think I do have a healthy... What's the word? I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Um, A healthy distrust of civil government. Now, don't get me wrong, we've, we've talked about Romans 13. Paul says, submit, and I preached, submit. But I'll just let that lie there. If you think I'm sinning, come to me and I will talk to you about that. But the point is, this can come up in different ways through every generation in the church. And Paul says we are to receive one another, and especially here the text would indicate that the strong are to receive the weak. Why? Because God has received him or her. That's why. After all, what does Jesus tell the disciples in Matthew 10, 40? They're going to go out. He's commissioning them to go out and preach the gospel. He says, He who receives you receives me. What you have done to the least of these, my brethren, he says later, you have done it to me. So if you don't accept, if you don't love, if you don't fellowship with the weaker brother or the stronger sister in Christ, whatever it is, when God has received them, you're not receiving Christ. That's the ultimate teaching of Scripture. There's another reason here as to why we are to receive one another, whether the other is weak or strong, and that's reason number two, and it's found there in verse four. The answer is this. The reason is this. God will judge him, not you. God is going to be the one to judge that person, not you, not me. If you look at verse four, he says there, um, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, when he talks about master and servant and so forth, he's talking about the domestic situation in the Roman world at that time. And basically, he makes a comparison, and I think Paul is getting at something. He's saying, mind your own business. Because to do this is to meddle in the affairs of someone else's domestic situation. And the domestic situation he's referring to is God who is judge, Christ who is the master, and your weaker or stronger brother or sister who is the subject of the master. So it's like sticking one's nose into the affairs of another 
household. Who, by the way, is Lord over your brother and sister in Christ? Is it you? Is it me? Maybe it's the elder. Maybe it's the pastor. No, it's Christ Himself. I mean, look what Paul says if, if you... Look at verse 6, because um, what he does here, we need to, to highlight this. This is a secondary observation, but you need to know it, children. You know, we talk about the Trinity. There is um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are three persons in the Godhead, but there's one God. Verse 6, he says, he observes the day. Who observes the day? Observes it to the Lord. A little farther down in verse 7, he says, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. In verse 8 he says we live to the Lord. And if we die we die to the Lord. Therefore we are the Lord's. Verse 9. To this end Christ died. And rose and lived, lived again. That, that he might be what? Lord of both the dead and the living. The point is that there's the Lord. There's the Lord. There's God. The Lord. The Lord Christ. Who is the Lord. And so I'm saying this is one of those texts that shows us that Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He is God. He is Lord. Now back to that second reason that God is the one who will judge, not you, not me. He talks about in verse um, 4 that God is the one who will make him stand or fall. God is able to make him stand. What's he talking about? The Bible talks about standing in the day of judgment, right? And that's the illusion. Paul is talking about judgment. In fact, a little later in the passage, he even spells it out plainly. In verse 10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says this elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Maybe you're wondering, you're a Christian and you're wondering, well, um, haven't I been forgiven? Yes, completely, yes. Paul has addressed this in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so, there's no condemnation. At that day, we will be openly acknowledged as the children of the living God. Christ our advocate will be there and give testimony. Yes, I shed my blood for them. Look at my hands. You know, we talk about that. And, and he will give witness to that. And yet we must give an account as the children of God. That's what he's talking about a little later in the passage there. Um, in verse 11, he says, For it is written, he appeals to Isaiah 45, verse 23. And you may recognize this. Uh, Paul writes it in Philippians 2 as well. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That is telling us that all men, every knee shall bow before the living God to give an account for his life or her life. And if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you have the chance that you might go to hell. What it means is, is that God will look at your life, you will give an account to him. And as 2 Corinthians 3 says, whatever is worthless in your life, not good, uh, whatever is wood, hay, or stubble, it will be burned away. Only the good will be left. And even the blessings and the gifts that we receive at that day are only because of the merits and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it also means is this, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, you too 
will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And so are you trusting in Him or not? That's the issue here. And so Paul uses this concept of judgment to remind weak Christians and strong Christians, those who observe days, those who do not, those who eat meat and those who do not, to say, don't judge in this matter. God will judge them, not you. So as you think about it, maybe you struggle with this. Maybe, maybe you're the strong one and you see a weak Christian um, doing something that is not quite right and you just, you just want to let them have it or you get angry or you say, I can't believe they do that. Or you're the weak Christian and you see someone or you know someone maybe taking a sip of wine. They're not getting drunk. Uh, Romans 5, or um, Ephesians 5 says, do not be drunk with wine. Psalm 127 says, you know, we ought to give praise to the Lord. He, he gives us wine that makes the heart merry. Drunkenness is sin. But maybe you're, you've been one in the past and you've seen someone take a sip of wine, you know about it, and you're like, are they saved? That happens. Or they go to a movie. And granted, um, just because of the worldviews coming out of Hollywood, you shouldn't be watching a lot of these movies out there. Parents probably shouldn't be letting your kids watch them. Um, it's awful. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Got five, I guess. Anyway, the point is, maybe they've watched a movie or they've listened to a song on the radio. They like this group. They like that song. As they're, Okay, music's my thing. I had a mullet in the 80s. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. Um... And when I became a Christian, man, a friend of mine helped me to do it, threw away $200 worth of CDs, and uh, I saw other Christians listening to secular music, country music, whatever it is, and I really struggled with that. And these Christians were godly, mature Christians. So I was judging them. It's like, maybe they're not born again. But this text addresses the situation. Now, it's not, you know, degrading music. Like godly music is just, you know, on the fringe. And, you know, a lot of unbelievers, they, they get some things right sometimes because they're made in God's image and they hear other Christians and all that. But the point is, we have to be careful not to despise, not to look down upon, not to judge. When it's not a sin issue, you see. If it's a sin issue, that's a whole nother ball of wax, as we say. And so, how was it that Paul was able to say this. Maybe you're the, the stronger Christian and you just want to go over there and straighten someone out and tell them what about. Paul had faith in God. Paul had strong faith in God. He knew that God was sovereign over the affairs of men. He knew that God is sovereign over the salvation and the sanctification of men. He says this in Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all, with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, Paul says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Parents, you're going to struggle if you haven't already with whether or not your children become born again. And when they do, if they're growing in Christ, you need to remember whose hands they are in. 
They're in Christ's hands. And Christ's hand is in the Father's hand. He will never let them go. And those of you who just like to tell other Christians what to do, remember who is in charge. It's God. God often uses means, and part of the means He uses for our holiness can be a rebuke, a correction uh, from another brother or sister, and even the elders, as we see in Matthew 18 in texts like that. But Paul's point here is, this is a secondary issue, it's not a sin issue, and here's how you deal with it. Well, there's a third thing in here, a third reason as to why we are to receive one another, and it is this. God Himself is the Lord of the conscience. I've lifted that language from our own doctrinal standard, our Westminster Confession of Faith. I forgot what chapter it's in, but it's in there somewhere. But if you notice in verses 5 through 9, that's what he's getting at here. Verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Then he says this, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Does that sound emphatic? Does that sound like Paul is being redundant to make a point? Because he is. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. What's he saying? He'll repeat that thought in a different way a little later in the text. If you look down at verse 23, he says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Now we'll talk about this, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead. But the point he's making here is, if someone in this group at Rome is compelled by external force who is compelled by uh, the words of another to eat the meat when he or she is not convinced in her own mind fully that he or she should eat, then that person, that Christian, is willing to do something he or she thinks God does not approve of, and therefore that person is willing to do what? To sin. So that's why Paul says, Whatever is not from faith is sin. That goes back to Adam Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you trust God? Do you trust what He says? Do you trust His Word? And so you see how basic faith is. Everything we do must be born of our faith in God. For whatever is not of faith, He says, is sin. Now let me just say, when He talks about all of these various days here, Um, Some esteem some days uh, more than others and so forth. Some have pointed to this and said, well, he's talking about the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day, the Old Testament Sabbath. And and that's not my view. That's not the typical Reformed view. Some talk about uh, a new Lord's Day. Um, He could be, if he's talking about the Jewish problem and the Levitical ceremonial law, there were various days they were to observe. And and, uh, perhaps it's a carryover that they're doing. But we must remember that God set aside in creation one day in seven to be observed as a day of rest 
that we cease from our normal labors in order to serve and worship Him. And of course, as Christians, obviously now, here, we believe that day has been transferred from the seventh day of the week to the first day. That's the day on which Jesus was raised from the dead. It's the day on which Jesus met with His disciples after the resurrection. It's the day on which, in the book of Acts, the apostles all came together. They broke bread. They fellowshiped. They worshiped God. And that's been uh, the predominant practice throughout the history of the church. So that's why we meet on the first day of the week. We call it the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. This does not negate that because this is a creation ordinance. Now, what is he talking about? I don't know. Could be the, the Old Testament um, ceremonial Sabbaths. It could be something they celebrated out in the Gentile world. But it wasn't a sin to observe it. We see that uh, from the words of Paul here. And so the point is that we, that we do not force practices upon others that are not commanded by God in His Word. And that there must be faith on the part of the one observing the said practice. There must be the conviction that this is what one is to do before God. Again, let each be fully convinced in his own mind, he says there in verse 5. And so if you're in a situation and you're the stronger Christian, remember what Paul has said in chapter 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are we transformed by the renewing of our minds? By His Word and Spirit. And so if you're stronger in a certain situation, remember that that person who is weaker needs to be transformed. They need to be taught the Word of God. They need to be brought along and convinced of it in their own minds so that they can say, yes, I see that now. So, I don't know, 30 years ago I was in Bible college and uh, this Jewish man spoke at chapel. He was a Christian. He was Baptist. Um, not that that matters. Um, but this, this is what happened in that context. He told the story of how he came to Christ as a, an ethnic Jewish man. And he was at some Baptist convention. And uh, they, it was time for them to eat breakfast. And he, he, he was a recent convert and he said that you know he had some eyeballs looking at him because they're looking at him to see if he's going to get bacon. And he's like, "We'll see." They were like, "We'll see if he's really saved." You know, he felt that pressure. But as a new Christian, maybe it was a little difficult for him to eat bacon. I love crispy bacon. I'm afraid I'll get worms if I eat soggy bacon. I know that's gross. But the point is. That man needed to be convinced in his own mind that it was perfectly lawful for him to enjoy bacon. And I guess he ate and knew the blessing that God had given him. I don't know. But you see the point. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. And so he talks in verses 6 through 9 about doing things unto the Lord, living to the Lord, dying to the Lord. This is characteristic of a Christian 
What we do, we do unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. Right? 1 Corinthians 10. And so Paul says that this is characteristic of a Christian. And so the one who does not eat the meat is doing that unto the Lord. He or she thinks that they are obeying God. And so there has to be patient teaching and leading in that situation. That's what he's getting at here. And so then, he says in verses 8 and 9, this is why Christ came, that He might be, verse 9, He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And so Christ is Lord. He's not going to be Lord. He was raised, Acts 2, to sit on David's throne. He is Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so then the question is, why do you judge your brother? That's the rebuke. And so as we think about this passage, let me ask you this. First of all, are you seeking to follow Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord? And do you seek to follow Him as such? Following His Word as the authority in your life. Because that is the starting point. God's Word must be our delight, but it must be our authority for everything we think and do. That's where we need to get. So then it's a matter of understanding the Word of God, right? And believing what it says. And then are you receiving others in the faith Are you receiving other Christians regardless of the measure of their faith? In Reformed circles, if if you don't know who Bob Inc. is, or Calvin or Edwards or Pink, if someone doesn't know those authors, would we scorn them? Maybe some of you don't know those men. That's okay. Pink's really good. Like Calvin's awesome. But they're just men. They were taking stabs at it under the uh, learning of the Scriptures. They're, they can be very helpful, but they're not the Word of God. But the point is, are we patient? Do we bear up with one another? After all, Paul tells us love is what? Patient. It is kind. And it bears all things. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your patience with us. Your Word, at one point, compares Your people to donkeys because they're stubborn. We are stubborn at times. At other times, we are just ignorant. We don't know what Your Word says. We don't understand. And You kindly teach us through Your Word, spoken, taught, preached, perhaps even through a a hymn or a Christian song. And for that, we give You praise. We ask, O Lord, that You would help us to be patient with others, even others with whom we disagree. 
And may there be unity in your church for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.